30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard Every artist battles the blank page. However we seek to satiate our creative urges, we all inevitably confront nothingness. The empty canvas, the unwritten word, the sounds of silence, all that could possibly be awaits just on the other side of this foreboding wall. Nothingness. Right now, in this moment, the words I'm saying out loud were pulled from who knows where just a few moments ago as my weary wizard brain struggled to string a coherent sentence together, staring at the blinking cursor of a blank Google Doc. And yet now, we're in it. Here we are together, tasting the fruits produced by this particular branch of possibility. This dance between the tantalizing infinities of nothing and the strange specificity of something. Not just anything, this particular something. This is as old as creation itself, perhaps even is creation itself. But all of this highfalutin intro is just my way of moving the nothing out of the way so we can dive deep into the mini-splendored something that is Autumn Whitehurst. Autumn is a freelance illustrator whose drawings and designs have been used by countless name brands and big businesses who I won't be promoting for free on this podcast. She also teaches the art of illustration at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. Autumn is a bubbling fountain of weird facts and unbelievable trivia, a delightful conversation partner who always seems to have another mind-blowing tidbit hidden up her sleeves. So while the blank page can be cruelly intimidating to many artists, including this particular wizard, I feel like Autumn herself represents a solution a bright, decadent splash of color that spills itself across the page and turns all of that nothingness into a delightful invitation to explore and engage and create connections, to move the colors and pixels around the page and see what might emerge. So let's see what we can find as Autumn teaches us how to draw. Oh, hello, Autumn. Hi, Devin. Welcome to Ritual Space. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> what is our magic word going to be today? Our magic word is going to be imagination. Imagination. Oh, that's a great word. <laughs> I'm so excited already. All right. So everybody, on the count of three, don't imagine saying it, actually saying it. One, two, three. Imagination. imagination. Ooh. <laughs> Do you have a good imagination? Um, uh, yeah, my imagination uh, has me buy a yoke through my nose for sure. Overactive? Overactive. Like, yeah, act- it's, it's constantly externalizing itself. Like, I'm, like, moving into it, through it all the time. Like, I think that 
um, something that has become very clear to me in the past few years is that like we definitely like are living in a reality that we've created for ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and like if you ever if you if you, if anybody has ever experienced like a reframing or a shift in their reality like it it's so clear you can't even argue with it because like it re- it, it happens you mm-hmm. know everything changes conversation changes like you know reality changes like i could go on and on and on about this. even just in a moment you can have that happen where like i've had those times where i'm like i am so mad and i'm so <laughs> self-righteous and i'm so clearly right and then i'm like or am i being a dick yeah. Oh, it, yeah. I am. I'm being a dick right now. I'm. I'm. To, it's. This is on me. Never mind. Let this go. And then my reality is actually like fundamentally different in that moment because it's it, that cloud has passed and it's no longer rah, that that thing that I thought it was. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you're you know you're walking around like you're either like you know a handful of flowers. You're weeding. You're 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 wielding a weapon. You know. Mm-hmm. So that's it's. I mean, I think that in the realization of that, like, I it's there's a huge responsibility, like, in the way with that great we, power comes with, great responsibility for sure. Like the way that we are in the world, there's. I mean, it's a you know a huge responsibility, and like, I mean, what is like what is power? Everybody has a way of thinking about power, and power is like I you know I've come to understand it as being fundamentally like choice, right? Mm-hmm. So always recognizing that you're in a place of choice. That's interesting. Yeah, I love that that power comes down to choice. It's like yeah. like as your power dwindles, your choices that you're in control of get smaller and smaller. I think I think you always have some choice because you can not comp- it's not like perfect willpower like no matter what's happening I can just control my <laughs> inner experience. But yeah. to some extent you can decide how you're going to respond to things even if it's a really fucked up situation even if someone's got a gun to your head and they're like do this you could be like nah yeah no I've been there before you know and like in that moment I mean I think that you've had a gun to your head I've had it yeah yeah it went to school in Baltimore so you know (laughs) it's it's uh it's you know the the speaking from experience like that experience like time slows down you know and your your wits come like they just gather around you and Mm. uh thankfully you know so yeah and then you realize i mean if time slows down then you do have a moment to be like oh my god okay yeah. so what's happening like i have a choice as to mm-hmm. some choice not all the choice not all the choice but you made the right choice because you're here right now <laughs> yeah, so you're right now yeah, yeah so you definitely didn't make the wrong choice <laughs> no. didn't piss anybody off so much you know yeah so yeah. um yeah so when you were in Baltimore, was that when, did you go to uh, Micah? I did, you yeah. Did. I went to Micah. It was great. It was, I lived in Baltimore for six years. I went to school for five years because I had taken a semester and gone to Scotland, met some really wonderful people, did very little work, learned how to drink, came back, had to beg for those three credits. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> Baltimore was just absolutely, I mean, it is a tough city. Like growing up in New Orleans and then going to school in Baltimore. It cracked me up when I moved to Brooklyn. My parents freaked out. And I was yeah. like, you got to be kidding me. Like Brooklyn is like suburban by comparison, you know. But but Baltimore has a, uh, the creative energy there is so intense. And I mm-hmm. think it's always been intense, you know. And, and thinking about places in New Orleans too, places like where you just don't know what's waiting for you around the corner. Like you live twice as hard, you know? And so the urgency to create is there, you know? Yeah. I I think that's like, it's, it's a very interesting part of creativity that it, it never comes. It it so rarely comes from like 
the super safe stayed suburbs, you know, like it wasn't Westchester that invented rap music. It's like it's it's when there's a little bit of chaos and turmoil going on that I think it drives people to find those expressions and um, change their reality in the way that they can. They don't have all the choices. They can't just buy the new thing. They ought to figure out what they can make that's going to bring joy. Well, you know, if you ever like, I mean, heartbreak will put you there. So many beautiful songs have been, Mm -hmm. you know, like you look at churches created out of like a state of reverence, Mm -hmm. you know, like those extreme states, those extreme ways of being will juice you for creativity. Like you got to do something with it. I don't even think that we're meant to like, carry around all of that like it has to come out you know and and so you know maybe um i mean of course you know for those of us who like have a studio working in the studio the studio is kind of i can't a friend of me a friend of mine had told me this years ago and i love it like your studio is a church and everything that you create in it is a prayer you know and in your studio you want to feel safe but the story that you're carrying around with you is the thing that you need to juice out of yourself yeah. in the studio, right? So I've, n- I've never had a studio because I've never I, I I've always like felt the creative urge, but never had like a oh I play an instrument or yeah. like oh I draw or do or do one of those things. And I had this epiphany, which may be might be obvious for people who have done the studio thing for a long time. But I had this epiphany once where I was like, oh my god, the studio is the answer to the question: How do I create? Yeah. And, it, and it's waiting there and it's all set up and it's like it's it's there to just be the juicer. Like you throw the, the, the grapefruit of yourself into it and then it's <laughs> it's ready to squeeze you and see what comes out. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, OK, so I I when I was in school, I studied um, I got a GFA. Mostly I was painting and stuff. And, and now because of like digital technology, I'm finding that. A lot of people who are 2D visually creative, like, you know, because now we've got Procreate and iPad, you can do it anywhere. You can do it on a ferry crossing the road. Oh, I've seen the people on the subway where I'm like, wow, that looks fun. Oh, it is. It's so much fun, you know, and I have not been spending enough time in the studio. Like, I need to be in there more. But, like, I think of, it's very clear to me that that's a place where you make a mess, like a physical mess, Mm -hmm. like a mess that can't be, like, I've worked out of my living space before, too, like that was our apartment and the middle room was the studio and and I was actually like it's really kind of nice living in your own creative mess but it'll also make you crazy like so (laughs) it's its own rite of passage and if you're prone to procrastination like some wizards (laughs) I could mention uh it's like it's it's then when things are tucked away because you need to live and be nice and organized then it's like uh, the art supplies are tucked away. I'll do it another time. And then that time doesn't come as frequently as when you're like, I've rented this space. I should freaking go there. And now that I'm here, like, let's let's get up and going. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about drawing today. OK. Um, how did how did you start drawing? What was what was drawing for you? As a, I imagine as a kid, you started. I think that for me, like it was a kind of a inheritance because my great grandfather was an artist he has a pretty unusual story that wasn't professionally what he did but you know he was um incarcerated in australia for a while got out of australia escaped i don't know how he did that and then i think that when he was over there he learned um a kind of a chinese style of painting and then when he came back to the states he did those my grandmother hawked them from door to door my grandmother was an artist she was a painter 
Um, I used to go see her. I would take the train to North Carolina and see her every Thanksgiving for like 20 something years. We were very, very close and we would just paint and talk and go for long drives and look at the colors of the sky. Mm -hmm. And she'd be like, you know, what color, how, what kind of color would you lay down for that? And so, and then my father is, does, oh my God, he's super creative. He's worked all of his life um, as a tugboat captain on ships and stuff, but he, Went to RISD, incredibly creative person, carved that hand over there, you know, is a maker, um, mm -hmm. does a lot of, has done a lot of blacksmithing work. And so I kind of grew up with it around me. And I just, I mean, for as long, as far back as I can remember, I was always drawing. And if I got really yeah. mad, I would like go in my bedroom and I would like scratch something out. You know, there was a, a yeah, I drew everything. I was Born with drawing. a silver colored pencil in your hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you know, there's something about like, I mean, I guess like for, I mean, children are born creative. I've not met mm. a kid yet who like doesn't like to take things apart and put them back together and mm -hmm. draw, you know, and then for some reason, for whatever reason, it seems like, and it seems to happen usually around the age of six, like logic seats itself in the, like in us. And, you know, we start asking, we start thinking about things in a very linear, linear, like sensory oriented way, you know, but others of us, um, don't that doesn't happen too, mm -hmm. you know so and like now i teach one day a week at sva and i've got two classes seniors and sophomores and i think about them i mean they're the ones who are still doing it you know yeah. so yeah yeah because i mean drawing is so interesting because it's there's a lot of things that you know have different levels of natural innate talent but i remember even as like a kid it's pretty early on that like some kids are like whoa your drawings are pretty good and then the other kids like <laughs> is that a stick figure like what were you going for there like i mean like they don't they don't have us all like learn to play guitar early yeah. but like i imagine that if you tried to have like a group of kindergartners play guitar it wouldn't be like one kid's like doing scales and then the other kids are like trying to crank out mary had a little lamb but yeah. like drawing is something that i think is like you, it's it's learnable, but it's also partly hardwired of like the way that you have spatial awareness and can translate that. Yeah. And express it. I think it's like I mean it's well like anything it's like how 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 badly you know you do something it just feels really good and that's the thing that you keep doing and and I think that like you know I'm guessing I don't know that like when we are really young and we like draw it's a way of like owning something it's a way mm -hmm. of realizing like the way that we like embody something and then externalize it express right? it yeah. express it absolutely and you know it's i mean i now like i look i love i love i love the way that children draw because like they're not like you know they're not it's not contextualized by other people's like expectations it tends to be their own expectation and like now at my age like that's a very i got to train myself out of that like you know working towards also because like i work professionally as an illustrator an illustration is always a collaborative act. You know, mm -hmm. you're always holding, somebody's holding your hand, you're holding their hand, you're creating something together, which is an amazing way to learn yeah. about what you're doing, you know? But it's, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, I think it's really important to uh, also, you know, when you're doing the work for yourself by yourself, how to get away from, like, it's very hard when you've been doing it for a really long time, how not to work towards expectations and i think that even mm. if you were 
you know, if I was working in a fine art context, same thing, right? Like I do, if I did something that was like marvelous and the whole world was like, yay, do more yeah. of that. And then I might be like, I don't want to do that anymore. You know? Oh, that's the thing. Yeah. Like everyone, no matter where you are in the rung of like creative independence, everyone's looking over the hill at the next person where it's like, oh, I've got the day job. I wish I was the professional illustrator. And you're like, oh, I've got clients. I wish I was just doing it. And the other person's like, oh, my fucking gallery wants me to keep doing daffodils and I'm ready to do something else, but they won't let me move on. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, it's uh, I mean, all of it, like, you know, it's really funny looking at like what I do on from such a different perspective from where I had been doing it for like so long, you know, thinking about um, like what is the wonderful thing that happens when you are drawing. So it's one of the things that I love about like figure drawing, which I don't do enough of, you know, is like just kind of getting into that like space where you have lost sense of time. You don't know what your name mm -hmm. is. You're not thinking about dinner. You're like in the moment, you know, and, 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 and to be like that, to be like in that very, like that place where you're just like right there in the moment. That's such a sweet spot to be. And it's also very like going back to the power thing. That's like, it's always a very empowering place to be is like in that place of choice. You're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm like, you know, and how, how like, are you playing? Like, are mm -hmm. you playing like, or are you like satisfying some kind of quest? Like where you're like, you know, trying to answer some question that hasn't fully formed. It's like yet. Right. So yeah. And how, how are you limiting your choices is another thing because I always find that like if you give me a very small piece of paper to draw on, I'm going to have a much better time than if you give me like a full size sheet of paper because <laughs> yeah. a full size sheet of paper, my little doodle is going to look like shit. Whereas like tucked into the corner of a paper, I can like add a little backdrop. It's like done. It looks great. Um, at least great by my standards. Yeah. And I think like it's so funny. In New York, we have all these different open studios mm -hmm. and you go and you see what looks like a warehouse from the outside. You're like, oh, that's a warehouse that I've walked by and never thought about it. Yeah. And then you go in and you're like, oh, my God, it's a beehive yeah. of artists that all have their own little room. Yeah. And every artist is doing some crazy different thing. Yeah. And some of the artists, they figure out what their niche is and they just keep doing that. Yeah. It's like, oh. That person's just making yarn mummies. They have the whole studio is full of yarn mummies. And it's always so interesting of like, at a certain point, you're like, they're right. That's what I'm going to do. That's. Did you see that? Did you really see yarn mummies? Because that no. sounds amazing. No. I, oh my God. That sounds yeah. like so much fun. Um, what a, my, my ex actually had, um, was part of like the board that ran like a, a studio program and one of the resident artists one year was his whole thing was drawing these blonde bearded kind of goofy looking male figures yeah they looked exactly like me yeah they like they, they had my exact beard my complexion my hair they looked exactly like me and it was so funny when I finally went to like the open studio thing for it and like she had told them about me and i was like yeah buddy what's going on please You're... please please tell me you have one of those no no they're it's like a real artist so they're expensive how weird would that be to go into like a studio space or like a show and see like versions of you that somebody's dreamed up on the walls oh my god that it was very weird like, i can yeah. tell you for sure <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. How has your um, so like you mentioned that you were doing painting in college? Yeah. How has your um, 
medium and like I guess like trends changed over time? Like, have you had yarn mummy periods and bearded <laughs> bearded men periods? Or um, I mean, I. I didn't paint until I got to school and then I had to take I think a painting class it was part of the foundation and I fell in love with it and it was really about like learning how to get the voice I was into really into oil paint mm-hmm. um, how getting how to get oil paint to like have a conversation with oil paint right like how do I get it to describe a form. And then when I got out of school I was working um, as an intern for this company. And I had to work digitally and like, you know, working. This is like like this is like way this is like way back at the genesis of like digital like Adobe was a baby. Yeah. There was no command Z. So. Oh, baby Adobe. Baby Adobe. I know. (laughs) Um, So and that was just a different medium. And I did not work as I did not work as an illustrator when I graduated from I had that job for a bit. But then like I didn't really start working. I didn't start really drawing, drawing until I was like 28 because mm. I did all kinds of other things like, you know, as worked as a cocktail waitress. I worked in pre-press. I was a makeup artist. Like, you what know, is pre-press? pre-press is like a printing, like doing like printing, oh. like a printing facility, doing retouching and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I worked here in Red Hook as a scenic painter, I think, for several years. And then what also on the mean? graphic. Oh, my God. It was just so much fun. Like we did like, you know, the shop that I worked for. Did some stuff for Sesame Street. We did Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Oh, you're painting like the backdrops. Of yeah, things. like fake oh. wood graining, like wow. people's court, NBC. Like it was so much fun, you know. And I it was just covered in paint all the time. Loved it. I had to go around the city and was like making fake rocks and like marbling yeah. and stuff. It was great. And then I became very sensitive to the paint. And I also read this article. I was super into fashion at the time. And I read this article in British Vogue about what the illustration was experiencing a thing. And I had just decided to do it. I put it together a portfolio. And then like, you know, for 15, 20 years, I worked my ass off. Like yeah. really like hard work, you know. So in fashion illustration. Yeah, fashion, yeah. beauty, lifestyle stuff. And all of that work was digital. It was very yeah. labor intensive. Um, the deck that I just created with my friend Bakara was all done digitally. There is something and it it works because, you know, it's also the times dictating the medium because like it's so easy to turn around, fix things digitally. You just email the PSD Mm -hmm. file to a client. Right. Like, I mean, 30, 40 years ago, you had dudes who were like painting in oil paint like these like World War Two scenes. Like, you know, so like the times are I mean. You know, we're like digital media companies like the technology is changing so quickly and the turnover is happening so quickly that digital the digital medium is like just way easier to work with. But that being said, you know, I also want to push back and like slow time down. Like there was a moment before I started drawing the deck where I was in the studio and I was like working with graphite clay and I was like, just I'm going to get I'm going to get in there. I'm going to get out of my own way and started doing these like crazy gesture things. I think I did like 80 of them in one day and it was These were like so sculpture? No, but the drawings were very sculptural. The graphite clay? What yeah, is what is it's that? it's like this awesome art graph. It's so awesome. Like if I didn't know better, I would probably have eaten it because yeah. it's so delicious to work with. It's like a, it's like clay, but it's like graphite clay and you can draw with it. It oh, is wow. amazing. I'll give you some. It's so yeah. good. Like, so I was going in the studio, like, I think one day, like, I literally covered the entire, the floor of the entire 
800 square like just with these drawings like it just went crazy you know and so um that's i think and i i've realized like in talking to other illustrators there's this thing that happens inside of you like working with clients is a blessing like if you've got great clients it's like the best thing ever but there's also this part of your creative soul that is like sitting like a kettle on the stovetop and there's a point where it just starts whistling and you cannot ignore it you know mm -hmm. but like when you go and you indulge that part of yourself, it's not going to be like, um, it's not necessarily going to be figurative. It's not necessarily going to say anything because you're just, it's a creative urge. Right? You got to get the let so out. You got to get it out. Yeah, you got to get it out. Like, it's like, it's, you know, kind of the equivalent of going up onto the roof and screaming at the top of your lungs, you know. Do you so, have any uh, rituals that you use to get into the zone? Um. So you know what, like I do have a meditation practice and I think that like I don't have rituals to get into the zone. Like I think that the urgency just to do it takes you right mm -hmm. there. And it's a very it's it feels like a very similar like space to be in, you yeah. know. So um, but I have been thinking about like I just I picked up a book last year about foraging for um ink for things to make ink with oh, and cool. that is very like you can yeah. totally make that a super ritualistic thing you know so yeah. i mean and i took a foraging thing last summer that was amazing that really turns your eyes on because you're walking around and you're just paying so much closer to attention attention to like what plants are doing and what they're providing that might be of use to you you know mm -hmm. so I mean, we've got pokeberry growing all over the place, and that stuff makes the most beautiful purple ink, you know? So you can also use leaves. I've got a friend who, years ago when we met, he was doing these paintings of, like, pigeons where he was, like, sourcing, you know, he's making black paint out of, like, burnt pigeon bones and green out of, like, copper found in industrial sites. Like, you know, and there's, I think there's something really beautiful about having this very intimate process with making the material that you're going to be working with, you know? Well, it's, is, it's very magical in two levels because, like, one, I think magic is always about the interchange between um, the symbolic and the physical. Yeah. And that, you know, it's like, oh, here's the idea that I want to convey, I'm going to turn it into a symbol. Yeah. And then there's also the material aspect that you can get into and nerd out about where you're like, oh, it shouldn't just be the symbol. The yeah. symbol should also then be on this paper or printed with this thing or at this time. I mean, there's all the various ways that you can complicate and, and add on to that. But yeah. Um, yeah, to not just have the pigeon picture, but to have the pigeon picture made out of pigeon bones and industrial <laughs> copper is a, is a whole nother thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, also when you're working with like a material like that, I mean, really anything, even like, like even like a lead pencil or like a crayon or like yeah. Play-Doh, you know, you're not, you don't get to necessarily tell tell it what to do it becomes yeah. which is really the wonderful thing about like i mean with digital media it does have like a kind of inherent thing that it likes to do but like with like wet material with stuff that's like you know i don't like that you find outside or like you buy at the art supply store it's like there's a different kind of conversation that it's not a monologue it's a conversation that you're having with your material you know mm. and so um I like, you know, I've been thinking about like, well, what does, you know, the future of my creative endeavors look like? And it's always going to it's going to be like an immediate future because it'll become a, another thing shortly thereafter, you know, but is is getting myself 
out of the way and like letting something move through me rather mm-hmm. than of me, you know, because um, I kind of get tired of hearing, of you know, listening to myself. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast that you're having with yourself at all times. Yeah, <laughs> totally. No, you know, I got to like made a pact with my ancestors during a ceremony that like I would definitely just let like all of that um move through me because there are sometimes these ineffable like urges that I feel like are just like deeply embedded in my DNA, you know? And, and as I get older, I am so much less interested in controlling things like, Mm. you know, like really like controlling, like uh, just kind of letting things, um, move through me than of me for sure. You know? Well, it's really hard, I think, when you're trying to like squeeze yourself to get the thing out, and yeah. it it like it just puts so much pressure that it kind of blocks everything up. And when you're able to get out of the way because of a deadline, or because it's for somebody else, or yeah. because it's just on a whim, there's all the different ways that I think you can kind of remove yourself um, from the from yeah standing in the way of the paper. Yeah, it, I mean you you know you just kind of have to be like a great big courageous yes, you know, yeah. and and uh think you just have to say be a great yes big to, courageous yes. You gotta I like that. be a that. great big courageous yes. I mean everything that you know is um something to really wonder about comes out of like intense vulnerability, right? Like yeah. you cannot love anything unless you choose to accept the vulnerable state that you're going to be in while you love that. You yeah. can't really choose to I mean uh, you know not I can't do this with clients because there are, are very specific things mm. that they want, you know, but in creating for ourselves like you're kind of really jumping off the cliff. You're definitely it's full energy, you know, yeah. into the abyss of not knowing where you are going to land and hopefully I think it was Terrence McKenna said something about a feather bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You you jump into the <laughs> void and then and you realize it was a feather mattress. Yeah. Yeah. Um the existential psychologist Rollo May had a book on creativity and it's beautiful because it's like so conceptual. It's like you know, it's definitely not like here's four tips for writing, you know, for to be a writer. It's like what is the creative act? What does it mean? Yeah. And he really gets into this idea of like being and non-being and non-being is sort of the cheese grater that we have to like that's why creativity can be so painful it's like it's like torturous because you're like grading yourself against non-existence to then find something that didn't exist before that comes out of that experience and yeah. yeah like being wants to just be it doesn't love that that like pushing it into What's going to happen? What's the realm of possibility? I like the idea of the grading. Yeah. A lot. You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. it is the, it's, it's the grading. <laughs> I love that. I'm imagining like this nice fluffy pile of freshly grated cheese and then just squeezing it into mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know, a little cheese figure that you could then use ritualistically. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's I think um, that's probably like a common misconception is that I think people who don't consider themselves creative or talented yeah imagine that the other person it just flows out of they're like oh that's so cool like you just go to your studio and it just flows and the artist is like are you kidding me (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i mean i think really i can't i could not if you asked me to think of somebody who is not creative 
I think I'd have a really hard time thinking of anybody or being able to name everybody has that. I'm not being a nice guy. I'm serious. Like everybody has the potential, you know, I've seen people resist it. Yeah. Like I've seen people who when like you're like, just, you know, just name a thing and it takes them forever and they, they doubt it and they hesitate and they block it so much. And then when the thing finally comes out, you're like, that's brilliant, you fucking animal. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's great. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You did, like, you, they're like, no, yeah. it's bad, it's bad. And so yeah. I've seen people, like, block it. Yeah. But I think it's always there somewhere. Yeah, it's. I think it's like, you know, you got to give up that control, right? Just let yeah. it happen. Like, just let it fall out of you, right? So Like pooping. But it is like pooping. I yeah. knew you were going to say that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is The scary. original artistic medium. <laughs> it is. But it never gets, I don't think it ever gets less scary, you yeah. know? I don't think it ever gets less scary. And God, you know, I mean, just like any time, like waking up in the middle of the night because something's sitting on top, you're being hacked, you know? Yeah. Oh my God, like sit up and like lean into that thing and tell it to fuck off. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. the fearlessness of just like you're afraid, you yeah. know, you're afraid. You got to like, if there's going to, if anything's going to come at you, got to like lean into the thing that is terrifying you. You know, and and um, so but it's also I mean, we do we put a lot of restrictions on ourselves like I you know, I, I mean, I don't I may not like tomorrow decide that like drawing is the 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 thing that I need to do to get something out of me. It mm-hmm. might be, you know, I mean, it might be a meal that I make. It might be yeah. like playtime with somebody that I, I don't know, yeah. you know, right. Just like making something up on the spot like. Yeah, just doing it. The big courageous yes, right? So (laughs) the big courageous yes. Squeeze it out. Yeah, you know the story about how Yoko Ono and John Lennon met. No. Oh man, I love this so much. I hope I get this right. Okay, so like she, I think she at the time she was a Fluxus artist. Yeah. And he went to a show. He hadn't met her yet, and there was this ladder, um, and hanging from the ceiling was a magnifying glass, and so he climbed up the ladder. And he took the magnifying glass and there was a little tiny word written on the ceiling. He used the magnifying glass to see what it was and it was yes. Ooh. Isn't that so lovely? Yeah, that's I would have fallen in love with Yoko Ono if like, yeah, she could have looked like, I mean, it could have been it would, yeah. Charles Bronson. It would have been like, hey. You want to go on a date? Like, yeah. That's why I, I love that. I love like the work of like going up there to be like, what's going on? And then you just get that. Yes. That's yeah, beautiful. The three letters, you know? Yeah. yeah so good. That's amazing. <laughs> Tell me about the tarot deck that you illustrated. So my buddy and I, Bakara, we I think we met like, I don't even, it's gone by so fast. Maybe it was like four years ago at the dog run. We have this dog run near us where I've met so many amazing people. And um, this was right on the other side of a crisis that I had had. And Bakara is one of those people, like literally every day at the dog run, like the person in the dog run with me was like a shaman or a witch or a sorcerer. Like, I mean, all, you know. Welcome to Brooklyn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're in the middle of the the occult revival. Yeah. But, you know, right before that, it was like they, you know, it was a poker player or a comedian or like, you know, and all of a sudden everybody was doing this awesome magical stuff. And Bakara was there and she was a tarot reader. Um, we be- very quickly became friends and she's just a badass reader. And I think it was about three and a half years ago that we started talking about the deck. She was writing a book, you know, and we came up with a preliminary, a few pl- preliminary sketches, which were in the book. And then 
about two and a half years ago. What the fuck is tarot and how do I do it? Yeah. Yeah. And then like and then we like and she was coming up here from um, Carrie. She used to live up here and then she moved down to North Carolina and she was coming up and we would just go to the studio. We would just brainstorm like we have. I have this notebook somewhere. It's just packed with notes. There's no more room in it. And we just brainstormed and brainstormed and brainstormed. And then I really started about two and a half years ago drawing it. And it um, was absolutely scary because like, you know, for 15, 20 years, I was drawing like really beautiful young people and like celebrities Mm -hmm. and like stuff for like about like cosmetics and like cool clothing and stuff. And all of a sudden I had to draw like, you know, wolves and cliffs and like the desert and trees and I was like I don't know how to do any of this but I just like did it you know and so originally I was gonna it was really important to me that everything was drawn by hand I probably at that point was also like I need to make my own ink and like this has to yeah and that just would have taken forever so you know I did it I did it digitally which was great because like we were able to like rethink things and move things around but like I mean and we were nervous as f about that thing like right up until the end um when we had a uh, proof printed out of it and we i mean this is literally like nervous up until the last second and we cut it down into the separate cars and just started playing with them nervous and it, why and it works because i well be nervous because there's different there's a couple of like I just went from card to card to card and like you know 78 cards is a lot and I was really worried about the style changing Mm. during the period that I was working on it would it be coherent when it was done Mm. you know but it it worked out and I mean talk about like the deepest deepest relief and it reads I keep people I keep hearing from people that it's you know that it reads it's a very easy deck to work with it's a straight shooter and I mean it's got to be one of the most uh, rewarding creative endeavors yet for me because like you know instead of it having its ephemeral moment like where it's being used as an editorial or Mm. an ad or something it's out there as a tool, you yeah. know, and it's made us so happy to see it being used by people to like as a mirror for themselves or mm-hmm. like reading for friends. I've got a lot of friends who have started using it and really enjoying it. Do you so use like, it to read? Yeah, I yeah. do. I use yeah. it. I've got a couple of decks that I use. It's really funny. And I was talking to Bakara about this because like, you know, there's a lot of myths around the tarot. Like you shouldn't buy your own deck. And like, you know, um, one of them is, 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 is uh, there's They just idea. tell you that. So then you have to, yeah. That, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you're really being the magician, you just do what you, you know, buy, yeah. buy your own deck. It's okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> So, um, yeah, but, you know, it's funny because, like, being the person who drew it, I have to turn, if I have more than two seconds to look at the card, like, when Mm. I look at it, I go right back into creating it. Yeah. The invisible hand holding the invisible pen goes right back in and starts, like, drawing on it, Mm. you know? Um, This past holiday season... We did a few events and I just had to fling those cards and read them. And that was yeah. really good for me because I didn't have time to do that. Like mm-hmm. I had to read them, you know. So, yeah, but it is um, it, it definitely it definitely is a straight shooter. For do you sure. have a favorite card or a favorite illustration from the deck? Oh, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The Hierophant's my favorite. Oh, really? Yeah. We did mushrooms for the uh-huh. Hierophant, right? Because I'm a big Paul Stamets fan. He's yeah. like my hero. 
And, you know, he talks about how mushrooms are the original culturating force, right? They taught us leadership and empathy. You know, we didn't want to have any people in the deck because we wanted it to be super inclusive. Like Mm -hmm. anybody could look at it and feel like the deck, they're in the deck, right? So um, instead of having a pope or a popess, you know, we chose to like do like a mushroom and three mushrooms. Yeah. So and it's like visually it's like my favorite card. And it's funny, like, you know, hearing a lot of like older friends like that card really resonates with them, you know. But so, yeah, somebody got it tattooed on them. Like whoever did the tattoo did a really beautiful job, you know. That's a relief. Yeah. It'd be like, like, oh, I'm so honored. And then you look and you're like, what sort of jittery 12 year old on a train did your tattoo? be a very cool tattoo. That'd be cool too. Yeah, yeah. like let like the six year old stick and poke you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that card is very close to my heart. I love that card. So yeah. 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 Well let's let's get into our spell crafting portion. Okay. And um you know for people that are trying to draw at home and are currently drawing a blank, uh how can how can people bring some of this magic into their life? Are there exercises you give your students or anything that you feel like is a nice entryway into this? I have not given no, but like the thing that keeps coming to mind because I think that like the surrender thing is so important, Mm -hmm. right? Is maybe just initiating the whole thing with a willful mess, you know? So like letting randomness like kind of take you by the hand, Mm -hmm. you know? So maybe taking a piece of sturdy paper, something that isn't going to buckle immediately when you spill some colorful fluids on it, Yeah, you know? Um, And then maybe like I would imagine if you like taking um, some kind of ink and dropping it onto the paper and using your breath to blow it around, Mm. right? And then kind of, I guess, like scrying would be the term, like yeah. looking at what's been created, let that speak back to you, right? To generate something. To take that idea of skill out of the way first and just be willing to make a mess and see what you can create. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that would be a really beautiful way to like start a conversation about what you should create. That might illuminate something in your blind spot. I mean, we're talking about people freaking out in front of a blank paper, Yeah, you know, illuminating something in the blind spot to like uh, something that you can't see for yourself, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, and then letting that initiate like the next creative act. Right. So reading that, like reading that random splotch. So drop and blow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Get that big courageous. Yes. And then drop and blow. Drop and blow. (laughs) Oh, man. No, I, I love that because I think that's the other thing is the we see so many finished results. Like we're, yeah. we're, we're drowning in finished results. Yeah. And it's it's hard to access. It's like you don't it, you can't just go and get like the first manuscript that Stephen King sent in of a book before it was edited and be like, oh, yeah, this is messy and raw. Like my <laughs> writing's not so much worse than this. We see the polished gemstone version of yeah. everything. And so I think that can be very intimidating. But then often with creativity, it's the accidents and the the fuck ups and the weirdness that then leads to the great idea. You're like, I was yeah. trying to do one project and that did not work. <laughs> and then project two... Yeah. Grew out of that. 
Yeah. So just go for it. Just meet the mess right yeah. at the door. Yeah. You know, make the mess at the door before you like. Don't start with a blank page. Don't, make that page messy. <laughs> yes. Don't start with a blank page, you know. And I think also like the idea of like using your breath. I mean. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine not imagining? Can you imagine like not? Can you imagine not imagining? (laughs) Oh my God. That's my new favorite koan. That's amazing. Like, can you imagine not breathing? You know, like. Oh my God. I'm going to have to, we're going to have to end the episode because I'm going to not be able to talk because I'm too busy trying to imagine not imagining. That is perfect. All right. Like John Lennon. Yeah. Imagine all the people not imagining anything. That's a song he would have written if he didn't see that yes. Exactly. If it said no. (laughs) God, can you imagine you get all the way up that freaking ladder and it just says no. no. Yeah. It says not an exit. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. The The alternate reality. Great. Well, thank you for making a mess, Autumn. This has been wonderful. Thank you for having me, Devin. (laughs) For more of Autumn's work, visit awhitehurst.com. That's A-W-H-I-T-E-H-U-R-S-T dot com. And for more of this podcast is a ritual's magic, you can help us wage war against the tide of eternal nothingness by donating $4.20 to our brave crusade at patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual, where we will be valiantly moving forward into the future of potential infinities and finding that single golden thread of whatever happens next.